podcast listeners. If you hear my voice right now, I need you to do something for me. I want you to take out your phone or on your computer, go to Apple Podcasts, search for Ask Your Old Head Podcast. You'll see my, my logo, my little picture, my little image there. Find the show. Please rate and write a review. It's a small thing, but it helps others find this work and find what I'm doing here. And it really, really matters, uh, as small as that may seem. So if you could please do that uh, before we get into the show, I very much appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Let's get into it. Peace. Peace. So what you're about to hear is actually a conversation on Coach K. Uh, There is a special, special, special cut of conversation in regards to the very serious matters of what's going on in Ukraine uh, with the Russian invasion there uh, and a conversation about COVID that I have decided in my creative and editorial prerogative, as it were, to reserve. Um, Yeah. So what you got to hear right now? We're going to talk a little talk a little Coach K. So there's two doses of basketball. I know it's a little bit much, um, but hopefully, you know, there'll be something here, you know, worthy of thought. And as we get back into action, as I get back into action, you know, creatively, hopefully you will give me uh, a bit of grace and a bit of forgiveness if, uh, you know, you were waiting. You know what I'm saying? Waiting for those conversations about the other two topics. But I guarantee you there will be more to come on both of those. So with that, let's get into it. Peace. I'm Majestic. My brother, Justice Raji. Oh, man. So uh, so uh, this week, a weekend, I guess, right, was uh, Coach K's last uh, game. At, like, you know, not last game coaching, but last game coaching at Cameron Indoor Arena and um and um i mean i mean i guess you know probably i'm sure his, his, his folks are definitely happy that you know he's walking away you know just as you know he, he not passing away like you know we had a conversation about impact of john thompson um sometime last year or sometime in the last years i don't exactly yeah. know <laughs> what time that was john, Johnson, john thompson john Cheney, uh, yeah. yeah um but you know as um as as, as the only <laughs> person in my life <laughs> Duke fan, um, and, and I don't, I don't know if I meant that. I don't know if I'm necessarily, necessarily negatively Duke, but but you know, regardless of all of that, all that notwithstanding, right? Coach K, you know, you know, is is symbolic and a part of sort of some of the last coaches really of the era that we, you know, when we was you know maybe young, first introduced to college basketball, you know, in the '80s, um, and you know, he's finally stepping away. You know, from the game and you know all the players that they've coached and the, and the Duke, the kind of the meaning of Duke within the last you know thirty years, forty years of basketball. So, you know, I thought it'd be fitting maybe to have a, a you know Duke, you know basketball, you know various things related conversation. Um, you know, then also even just as a yeah, so it's a lot of little touch points, but I guess one thing that I would want to ask you: What did you did you actually get to watch the whole game? I didn't get to watch the game, so I, so, I kind of tuned in late. And then... So, 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 so. <laughs> I did. I, I, um, I like most 
you know, I would say not just Duke fans, but I would argue, frankly, college basketball observers, in some ways sports observers, um, you know, was was trying to watch the beginning, uh, you know, the kind of the ceremony before. Um, during that time, Texas and Kansas were playing a game. And, you know, I guess some folks would call it a barn burner. Um, it speaks to college basketball that, like, you know, they had to keep it on, but then they had to show this thing. So they had it on split screen, which was interesting. Um, and I watched until about five, five or six minutes in the second half, which I then realized that uh, the game was getting out of hand and uh, to be able to, you know, not have feelings about it. I was able to cut it off and go about my business and go watch a documentary or something. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. That's an interesting disappointment because that's something I definitely do. Well, I mean, I only have one uh, real fan engagement that that I actually will feel some sort of way, which is my 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 wayward uh, New York football Giants. And I go, come on, fellas, let's let's, let's, get, let's get this thing together, man. Like, like, you know what I need to do? I'm gonna go do something else. That's right. Let's <laughs> right. go walk away because this is right. can't let you take can't let you have my emotions today. Well. Right. I think, you know, one of the things that I think is significant, um, and it's something that we've touched on sometimes, talk about college, about basketball, college basketball, and NBA basketball, and the degree to which um, sort of the, the, the mythology of the, like, hard scrabble kid who lost, you know, young person in basketball was the only way out of the, 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 the doldrums of the ghetto, you know what I'm saying, like, conversation, where in reality... You know, a lot of kid guys that make it to the league kind of from, you know, working class, you know, the middle class, largely, you know, I mean, what one would look at as stable families. Right. And and I think the knock when we was young, that at least that I absorbed about Duke was that like Duke didn't want players, especially black players that came from so-called troubled families or troubled circumstances. Right. And so the perception of black guy players who were on Duke was that, you know, some sort basically like came to sort of proxy class war of basketball thing. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and I, I, I mean, obviously probably highlighted by the Fab Five and the assumptions about, again, about the Fab Five, because we know that like actually most of them had fairly stable, you know what I mean? What we would, we wouldn't necessarily characterize as, you know, hard scrabble overall uh, family lives. Um, and and even the the conversation from the Fab Five doc, where Derek, where uh, Jalen Rose speaks to like his perception of what Grant Hill's life was like, right? Not necessarily the reality of what Grant Hill's life was like or who he was, right? So that 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 dynamic around the Duke program, um, you know, I, I don't know how tied in folks were. You know, actually, oddly enough, when we went down to Durham a couple of years ago, it was the first time I ever actually seen duke's campus <laughs> like um because where i stayed that extra night you know I me mean, if y'all did i stayed at uh the other spot that was just south of duke's campus yeah yeah and so i just kind of like you know walked around looked around and stuff and i was like oh this is this is very interesting like all of this like i can see why like it's like a cloister didn't you know kind of exists and I, I don't know if duke i know it's a private university i don't know if yeah like a like a presbyterian or some kind of, i don't know as a religious affiliation of any I, kind? I think, uh, I think originally, but now it, it doesn't really function like that. Um, I think it kind of functioned 
more like you said, as a class and like kind of elite um, education. I mean, so I think your point, which is a bigger point around this stuff, is not, I mean, you're spot on. Especially during that time. I think it's a little different today. I think when people think about basketball today, like they don't frame, no one doesn't think about the fact that Steph Curry's, you know, was a son of a ball player or or Clay Thompson is a son of a ball player or all these guys that now are sons of ball players who grew up in relative comfort, right? We don't, we don't have that conversation about them anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it was also a tied so much to the role of, especially in the early eighties, the role of the NBA. And if you think, if you remember Michael Ray Richardson that played for the Nets mm-hmm. and Bernard King and all the guys remember that, you know, in, in the initial thing of Showtime before Showtime was embraced by frankly, white mainstream culture, right? where the idea of the Lakers of five dudes running up and down the court, passing the basketball in ways people had never seen was kind of off-putting, right? And we juxtaposed Boston's play, which also was a false thing because Dennis Johnson was black as all get out. Robert Parrish was black as all get out, right? right? They had Bernie <laughs> Maxwell. There was never this idea that like there were not black players on the Boston Celtics. But anyway, like to go back to it, there was this idea, and if you're 45 and down, maybe 50, your juxtaposition of Duke was largely the story of UNLV in Michigan. Yeah. Right? First, it was UNLV and the idea of these five basketball players largely from JUCOs. And, I, and I, again, I think the story of Tarkanian mm-hmm. was a story of the conversation of taking young folks who may not have had opportunities. Right, right. And, and, uh, and bringing them to the desert, right? <laughs> right. And, you know, um, and and giving them an opportunity, right? And we know that, 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 you know, I think there's a lot to be lauded with that. And that we see the challenges that happen with the 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 program. And that, that's not a knock at a shot at Tarkanian. Mm-hmm. That's a shot at, at that point. You couldn't bet on nothing, right? Right. <laughs> but you, you bring these folks, you know, we, again, we've adopted all these things that we villainized 20 and 30 years ago. We've adopted and embraced sports gambling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thirty years ago, we didn't we didn't embrace sports gambling. Was- so these guys go to you know go to Vegas, coming from JUCOs, junior colleges for those like and and maybe need some help and stuff like that, right? So so if you juxtapose these five guys with Tarkanian biting on a towel, right, versus your perception of Coach K and these like black players um, and then them winning. So it kind of feels like the reverse of the Celtics Lakers idea, like that this system beat the brothers, right? Yeah. yeah or yeah. in the right. flip side of Michigan, which it, and I'm going to talk about this obscures. we be thinking because the basketball teams were, were all black that these institutions were right. down with black people. Right. Like, <laughs> like the university of Michigan, because it was five black players all from, largely from the Detroit area or the Midwest. Right. That like Michigan these, was like assigning yeah. itself like, yeah, we are we are trying to champion the the, the growth and development of the black community. Right. It's like Come nah on, they, they wanted the black players. They I mean, you know, they because they, they, they didn't always it. take black players from Detroit. Let's be real. Yeah. Black players from Detroit went a whole bunch of other places. They didn't go to Michigan. I mean you had same thing only because of them. Yeah. Iverson 
Victor Page. You know, yes, but mm-hmm. not the not the school. Another part I want to bring up here is one of the first recruits that Coach K got was actually Gene Banks from West Philly High School. Mm-hmm. Right? He was a player of the year, and he went down there. He went down on the team with Jaminski. So uh, Gene Banks and, and Mike Jaminski were on the same team. And Gene Banks went to West Philadelphia High School, which was no bastion of academic excellence at that particular <laughs> uh, that particular time. And then if, and if you look at who Duke did take, and this is true, but I would argue this is true with other teams too, they took black kids from Catholic schools. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? So DC had has and still has and still has a very strong network of Catholic schools that that black kids go to to play ball. Mm-hmm. That's where he got Johnny Dawkins. That's where he got Tommy Amaker, right? So those were the players he was taking. He was taking players out of DC that went to the Catholic network. But guess what? So was Georgetown. Yep. Right? Patrick Ewing came from Cambridge and went to schools up in Cambridge, right? Cambridge, mm-hmm. Massachusetts. You know what I mean? Uh, the Villanova squad, the one in 85. None of them the guys were actually from Philly. All of the guys on the 85 squad in Villanova were from Catholic schools or some kind of high school, usually in North Jersey or New York. Mm-hmm. The whole Big East, the largely, when we think of the Big East impact, uh, you know, battles were mostly Catholic school kids across the board from those respective cities. So I think, you know, it just was, it was a story. And then you, you know, because again, going back to this conversation, basketball, in that time needed a white savior, right? Mm-hmm. Or the white press framed the basketball as needing a white savior from to 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 rescue it from the niggas that was taking it over. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so what did they do? They created Danny Ferry, right? Yep. Next thing was Christian Leitner, right? Next, you know what I mean? Because right. then the other issue was Bobby Hurley. Right. Bobby Hurley being the point guard, the, the white point guard with vision. Right. Which is how we said, talked about it then. <laughs> right. The white point guard got vision. The black point guards got grit. Right. So yeah, we had this yeah, juxtaposition yeah. of Kenny Anderson versus Bob Hurley. Right. And then and then Christian Leitner, because of his attitude and all that, became the white guy that everyone wanted to win. So there was also there was always this larger theme that was put on. Um, those Duke teams, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. and it, really reflected it, yeah, yeah. But it was always as if, like, like Duke was. I mean, and, and it's funny that it was always that Duke was was sort of. It, it's interesting that Duke was made to be made. You're made to feel like Duke was always the, the other side of whatever team you thought was cool, like you know. So it was Syracuse. You know I mean, uh, right, right. Squads with Derek Coleman and them, and Sherm Douglas and Billy Owens, or if it was the uh, you know Michigan, obviously UNLV, um, and then Georgia Tech with Kenny Anderson. Yeah, and, uh, Tech. Um, then you get. I'm trying to try to think of like when it because then it started. I mean, it, it started to shift, and I always wondered how. I guess maybe it was Michael, maybe it was because of Michael Jordan that like North Carolina somehow avoided being similarly associated. I mean, even given recent activity at North Carolina in terms of uh, um, 
called Hannah Jones, <laughs> you know, in terms of a, a place that right. would would maybe we would as we would say, oh Duke doesn't you know Duke is exclusive da, da, da. you know North Carolina obviously it's not necessarily been a a, a place that's always been um in any way much more real. engaging. Shout out to shout out to all I got all my family that are Tar Heel fans that won't that won't mess with Duke. I get it, but here's the thing: when you look at those. Tar Heel teams in the 80s. He wasn't taking the Larry Johnsons of the world. He was taking Brick Fox from Canada. Yeah. He just wasn't taking certain players. Like certain teams just were not taking certain people. It doesn't matter what college it was. Yeah. Right? Like the the colleges that were taking on the guys that were really good because back then again the, the infrastructure of the AAU teams and all of that to to go a little deeper wasn't there so the dude that was really good that maybe was betting on games and stuff like that them guys just they they didn't succeed today's yeah. player even if they have those issues have so much more support around them right there's someone who came into your life a little early and said, listen, man, don't mess the money up. You see what happened to these guys in the 80s. Right. They didn't have that infrastructure at that time. But I would argue Indiana, because uh, think about the teams from that time, Indiana, North Carolina, Kansas, none of these guys are taking these players we're talking about. None of these guys are doing what John Thompson and John Chaney did, right, which is also in as well as HBCU coaches. So it's important to, to know yeah. that. Mm-hmm. None of these guys were taking these guys. That's what makes John Thompson, John Cheney so important that they were taking chances on people. When 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 thinking about uh, Hank Gathers and Bo Kimball, when they come out giving all kind of giving all kind of numbers, they had they went to Loyola Marymount. They didn't go to one of those, they didn't go to one of the, you know what I'm saying? So I think it's like this idea that we just forget the how college basketball and college sports had so much of a kind of a race and class context. Yeah. And you yeah. fell into. Now, what's interesting is if you look by like 93, Duke is fundamentally different. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I was, was, the, was, I was trying to move us to because it because it, they dealt totally shifted you know, just to the, like, look, it, as I look at it, it's sort of like the who's going to get the best players, you know what I'm saying, World Series every year. You know what I'm saying? Like, they, like them, uh, I mean, Kentucky, partly Kentucky, I guess, really ruled this, ran this, this second wave of that in the, in the was it, the Kyle Perry era. Um, but, so that's a little later, but in 93. They had a little bit in the Patino era, too. I mean, if you look at Mashburn, I mean, now the, that Kentucky team that, that Duke and um, Kentucky played at the, you know, what I consider to be the greatest basketball game ever played, uh, the Elite Eight game in Philly, mm-hmm. um, of which I did actually attend. That's one of them humbugs of, humbugs of time that you could say <laughs> that like, you was, was there. there <laughs> that I was actually there, um, hugging everybody in the uh, Duke. I was in the Duke section. Uh, a family friend had went to Duke and got tickets. All right. And uh, and so, but yeah, you had the Mad, you had Mad Sperm, but also them Kentucky teams had a lot of white kids. Oh, a yeah. lot of down south white kids. Yeah. Well, I, I, it's it's weird because in many ways, I, I I'm not a hundred percent sure 
if college basketball is really that much different than it used to be. I mean, I know more players go to the league and da-da-da with the rules and stuff. But it doesn't seem in my head, like when I think about if you think about it, like if you write it on a piece of paper, like, all right, so if you're telling me the top 50, top 30 players from each year, you know, may not stay for two years. But it still seems like you should still, it still should be entertaining. Like college basketball doesn't seem like it should be so unentertaining as it is sometimes. Like, and, and I don't know what happened. Like, I, like people tell me, it's all because of the talent. But I'm like, yeah, but it ain't that many. I mean, 30 to 60. I mean, is there like a bigger number that just ain't getting drafted that I'm not tracking? You know what I'm saying? But I'd be thinking that it's what? something has changed with it in such a weird you way. Want, you bring up an interesting point. One thing I want to touch on with this, with the Duke thing is, yeah. is again, 94, you get Carlos Boozer, Trajan Langdon, um, Avery. No, Avery might have came a little later. Yeah, Avery was uh, uh, later. Um, that was because he Capel, was. Mm, right? You get, you get Capel. You, you get, so Duke in 94, 95 does their first, what I call like their first like black team. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like, and yeah. so this is like they're the first ones like, okay, wow, they got this dude from Alaska. They got these two dudes from Alaska, right? <laughs> that can play basketball. Right. Right. Um, uh, and what's the Corey Maggetti? But you know, that might be a little later too. But my point here is when you start to think about Duke post 94, 95, you define them largely by black players. You don't define them by white players. It is insightful to remember that Kobe, if he was going to go anywhere, he would have went to Duke for a year. Mm-hmm. Chris Webber was supposed to go to Duke. Go to Duke. Yep. Then we go to McGetty, Elton Brand, mm-hmm. Jason Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, now in there you get Reddick, right? Yep. In there you get you get Grayson Allen, you get Luo Ding. Yeah. Right. What's, what, what's uh? What's his name? Kyle. Talk, dude. Play, he played in the league for a few years. I can't remember his name. But he was, I think he was in that that Avery, one of those teams with Avery and Brand or after. That every, yeah, that time. Talk, I mean, man, what was his name? Oh, it'll come back to me. But You get the Joneses boys out of Minnesota in a more recent level. You forget you get Jason Tatum, right? You get mm-hmm. Marvin Bagley, right? Like, so... Again, there's this idea of a university based on, frankly, 1986 to 1993. But that shows you how powerful nostalgia is and the power narrative is. Yeah, yeah. Because it it sticks with you that, like, you know, Coach K and and whatever is is sort of adhered to the program and your perception of it, it it is that that race class challenge and that this is, you know, um, some sort of counter note. (laughs) <laughs> to, to the to the to the to the to the sullying of the game by like you know open-ended profiteering and whatnot uh you know to the degree that like um and it, it's always the rub with college basketball and i think the high level college basketball and i think everyone involved once you're in there and if you're watching you know we're all supposed to suspend we were all asked to suspend you know belief that uh that while this that was happening here was was very expensive. Like there was a lot of money attached to it. Like we were able to watch it. Go, no, they're just amateurs, and like the coaches just love the kids, and 
you know, we just all like watching it because because they're like the best ones. But there's like there's no none of this is precursor to money being exchanged or no money is being exchanged of meaning a meaningful note, you know, wrapping around what you're watching when you're watching these games and Tuesday night basketball and the game of the week. And uh, what was, uh, you know, in, 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 uh, you know, uh, why can't I say his name? Uh, you know, uh, uh, he's a type of daddy, baby. My guy, I can't say his name. <laughs> yeah, no, Dickie V. Yeah, so yeah, like, this, so yeah, I just think, I think it, you know, to your point, it's fascinating how you know you have this kind of framing of the the enemy, right? Based on those years, which again were so formative in the years of people who are now currently sports writers mm-hmm. right and especially i would say black commentators <laughs> those were the central years in the identity that anything that was like real black was like your thing and anything that wasn't black wasn't your thing right mm-hmm. it again obscures like no black players went to a lot of places black players went to ivy league schools like it's all but it also underscored like you talked about really early the class dynamic yeah. That like again, the class dynamic has been almost obliterated in in basketball culture. I would just say in generally basketball culture, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because generally speaking, the, with the advent of N one and AAU, there are no different styles. Like before, you would say, "Oh, that's a DC player," or "That's a that's a New York City point guard," or "That's a Philadelphia point guard," right? Or "That's how Chicago guys play." It's all been obliterated. Yeah. Right? Everyone plays like each other because they've all watched videos. So there's no there's no uniqueness per se to a region's game anymore. It's kind of like rap, right? Like there was a place where you said it was a place where the way that people rapped. You don't say that anymore because everyone's watched everyone and listened to each other. There's just a way people play now. Everyone shoots threes. Everyone does the same dribble. Everyone learns the sham guy, right? So whereas before it was kind of like, New York City point guards played a certain way, right? You like growing up as a kid when you when we used to like do New York Philadelphia games stuff. You knew the New York point guards was coming in doing all kind of tricky stuff with the basketball. That was their thing, right? Right. Right. The Philly point guards may not have actually did it; they just got the ball up the court. So it was that juxtaposition. You know, the DC guys would shoot the lights out. Like you just you you know what I mean? It was a part of it. You knew the Newark guys were like they were just going to push the ball and score, right? Mm-hmm. There's none of that. Also important, Kyrie Irving with this. Dude. Yeah. Right? Again, like, so when you start really basing it back, there's like a lot of the stuff that we think had this credibility just no longer has a credibility. Before we jump deep into the game while today, I also want to say, um, I, you know, for folks to get a chance to read the article in ESPN about, you know, Coach K's career, um, which is a fascinating article to talk about the system that they had. And even for a fan, for as long as me, I had no idea of how intense and berating this particular fellow was and is to his players. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, I had no idea. Like, we told Jason Tatum he should just quit now and go to the NBA since that's the only reason he was there. And him <laughs> and JJ Reddick had a laugh over the PTSD they have with. Uh, Mike, Mike Chichewski, right? Like, 
like deep shit. Yeah. So it's also this idea, and while we're talking about, oh, Coach K is like, he's the white coach who doesn't want certain people. At the same time, he's like this in, in, intensely, you know, belligerent dude for being, you know, in a way that, again, we didn't really know, right? And even the relationship between him and Bob Knight, um, which is fascinating because Bob Knight was his coach and his peer. And then they, in 1992, in because of after a game, they they basically never were friends again. Um, yeah, yeah, 92, Bob Knight had someone else give him a letter, which basically berated him the program. And they essentially, besides obligatory, perfunctory, like uh, handshakes, never talked again. Or it's the, the right Thompson joint. Yep. All right. All right. Yeah, and and that's why one of the things I did want to get to because 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 within all this and the social stuff, there's a reality of like what coaching is, right? And how you know um, in sports, um, but you know now in our in our world, in our modern world, you know there's all there's people that all people that are life coaches. <laughs> there's all kinds of people that do like various forms of stuff that we that is characterized within the framework of like supporting a person to do a thing right but there's something about like the styles of what is permissible um what is expected like what does it mean to be on a team um and if you've never you know if you've never been coached like and like especially if you've never been on a sports team your kind of perception of like how people can talk to you and what's normal like there is a whole like psychological <laughs> thing that's like um that 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 coach has you know it, it is a, there's like a quasi parent like aspect to it you know what i'm saying um you know we we discussed when we talked about john thompson you know sort of the the, the premium that he put on put in on and he spoke of about his role in helping those young men become men <laughs> right and and sort What's of like in, yeah. in that like an obligation and even as we even thought we also talked about sort of like that generation of black coaches who like openly like we all openly talked about things that way and we also acknowledged like the 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 specific value you know in terms of black men in those roles in coaching spaces but then also um and and you'll find this uh like you know the the role you know coaches Kind of, you know, even in a way more than like when you you may have a, a teacher or someone who who impacted you heavily, but you know you 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 go to Duke and play for a coach like Coach, you know, Coach K. That, you know, whatever wild stuff he be saying to you and stuff he's trying to push your buttons and they're trying to motivate you and they're trying to do all these things. Um, it's like players don't always talk about it in great detail. But they do sometimes, you know, now probably more than in the past. And, and and it's not just dismissed out of turn. If if whatever they're saying is not necessarily like to be negative, but in the past, it's always seemed like, especially when we were young, like if a player spoke of anything a coach said to them that could be in any way construed as negative, it was like, oh, he's just not tough. You know what I'm saying? Don't bring it up. You know what I'm saying? Kind of like, you know, the old, like as males, like, you know, poke, pack all that emotion and thought down deep into your pancreas and don't bring it out. <laughs> Save that for later. <laughs> Like, like the, Joe, don't, you something else. don't tell nobody how you're feeling. You know what I'm saying? Just squeeze that down. Yeah. 
squish it inside. You know what I'm saying? Be so, a real man. But I want to so I want to touch on that because I think it swings two ways. I think to your point, there is part of that that um that we did that I think today people would see differently, right? The other part is that coaches today, and I think it lends itself to to your question earlier, coaches today to me aren't really coaches. They're like mentors. They're like intermediaries before you go somewhere else. They're like mm-hmm. between your high school coach and your pro coach. Right, right, right. Because <laughs> because you're not, they, one, you're not there long enough. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said, not just in this broader young people shouldn't go get paid. That's not nothing about that. Get paid. <laughs> Where's a young dog? Get paid, man. Get paid. But like, there's something to be said where you as a young person, a 17-year-old young person who, depending on your life experiences, just don't, you don't have that much to pull from. And you're about to go to a situation where you're one of the 200 or I mean, however, 12 players, 25 teams, whatever the numbers, the 300, 400 best basketball players on the planet, right? Mm-hmm. And the idea that you don't need any help getting from being a really good college, a really good high school player to being one of the 400 best players in the world. Right. Right. Is you, it, is like, it's well, like what you, specious at best. Yeah. Like an <laughs> argument, like the argument now that you don't need that. So as a result, the Dean Smiths, I mean, you know, the jury's out on Bob Knight for me still. I got to, I got to maybe read the biography or something, but like the Dean Smith, the coach K's, the John Thompson's, John Chaney's, you know, uh, I think Calipari is actually one of the first ones. He's just a mentor. He's not really, I can say he's not coaching, but, um, but I, I just think this idea, Nolan, Nolan Richardson, mm-hmm. right, out of Arkansas, this idea that you just, you know, you just need a mentor. You just need someone to give you the ball so that you can show your skills for two years. Yeah, yeah. And that is just all X's and O's. It's all like. Here's how you do a good screen. Get a kid a chance to show his talents and then let him go to the league. I think there's something lost in that, both in the maturity of NBA basketball players, frankly, um, as well as their talent. I think their talent takes longer to mature, except for the ones who are so good. So I think we we base this whole idea of don't you don't need college basketball, and college basketball is just this intermediary caretaker space for a year or two. Mm-hmm. We do it because of like LeBron and Kevin Garnett. So we're using like the, the two <laughs> and Kobe Bryant, right? We're using like the three of the 75 best basketball players ever. Right. 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 To prove the point why you don't need college. Right. That don't, <laughs> that don't, it's, it's actually still the ongoing probably most remarkable thing about LeBron, especially based on what we know that he, whatever happened that he, you know, found that the, the, you in the eighties and nineties dudes with his profile, we'd be like, it ain't gonna work out. <laughs> like something's going right. to happen. Like, and, but then the base, the whole idea, like, it goes, it speaks to sort of like, I mean, we, we I mean, um, even the idea of like people that are open to coaching, because <laughs> like there's some people, and I, and I see this sometimes incredible, like people like they're not off, almost not open to feedback. Like they feel like they already know what they're doing and they just need you to sort of manage them in this other way. And it'd be like, 
Yeah, but you might need some like, you know, you might need some stuff that falls in these gray areas of perception and motivation and, uh, you know, you know, understanding of sort of, you know, your, what your values are and integrity and, and develop like these other aspects that are, they're definitely more personal, right? Um, that were- Can, can I say this? Yeah. There's something always to be said when you look at a team and you look at the amount of players from that team that become coaches. Mm-hmm coaches or students of the basketball game in some capacity. Yeah. If you notice, say what you will, North Carolina produced coaches, right? Duke is currently in the space of producing coaches. Yeah. You really can't say that for a lot of a lot of colleges that they now have produced coaches. So it speaks to when you went and learned, when you played basketball at a high level, what did you learn? And then are you able to then teach other people that thing? Yeah. And I would argue college basketball suffers from not having people who are able to teach other people the thing. Yeah. <laughs> because now you don't have but so many people who know how to teach the thing and they know how to teach the thing because of the team they, they work. I mean, the NFL is almost like the example of it to the extreme where like, all coaches come from three or four systems, right? <laughs> All coaches come from from uh, Andy Reid and, and going up to what's his name from the 49ers? Oh, uh, Bill Walsh. Bill Walsh. Like everyone comes from them. Tony Dungy. <laughs> you start looking around, you start being like, damn, okay, it's only like three family trees in this whole in this whole uh whole game now, right? But like, or you know, Bill Belichick, right? For real, for real. So but the college basketball suffers on the other side where it's like, okay, who's really a good coach versus who just gets people who want to come for one or two years, do a tune-up, and then go play basketball, and maybe depending on their talent, frankly, not be too good. Yeah. And I think Duke has suffered from a lot of guys who stayed one or two years that I would argue could have been really good basketball players who are okay basketball players. Right, right. Like, you know, he's a solid yeah. player. Solid. Jabari NBA Parker guy. is an example of a kid who I would argue could have been really good. He is a, he is, he is still an NBA. He is a good basketball player. He's one of the 400 best. So I get it. But he could have been really good. But again, the guys only want to stay one or two years. So I think Duke had to then adjust to the world of guys who they're only going to stay two years. So you try to give them the best coaching possible in the two years, actually coach them, right? So that they can go and be successful. And I think we've, using the examples of LeBron, Kobe, Kobe, Kevin Garnett, and LeBron, we've essentially largely abandoned this idea of needing coaching, which then in the NBA shows up, I think, in a lot of different ways. Well, I mean, to me, quite frankly, it shows up with, it shows up to me. I, I, I'm a I'm a firm advocate of the idea that like at some point, no matter how good your your ability to play basketball, you need to share some of the load of like how we're doing all this with someone else. I don't I, you know well you know how I feel about the idea of talent and that people think of talent as some magical level of of giving ability and then you just like I think I don't think that that's not what, to me talent is developed like you you learned something. <laughs> And then you built, kept building on it. 
and there's this treatment of uh sort of like oh well the size and the power and all the stuff that basically you'll just figure it out and just be better than people just because you know just because it's like you just happen to be that way and it's like no nah, i just I, it seems like all the best players in all the sports like they have the they have the right balance between whatever their physical gifts and attributes are, their training and 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 work, their and their study of the game, study of the sport they play, and especially in basketball. And it shows in, you know, I mean, look, I'm just saying what's happening with the Lakers right now. You know, Woo! Russ, he's a fantastic athlete. He's he works hard, all that stuff, but his he does not seem to be able to play any other way, no matter who, you know, and, and I, I don't think it's ill will or nothing. I just, he just, he just can't play another way. <laughs> right. right. He just, he just can't stop doing it. And, and there's a, you know, it goes back to my first thing where I say, Katie was right. Um, and then the, the other aspect <laughs> that we, even the, the, there's, there's always other factors with, with success in a sport. Right. And, and and it's a in a way it's, it's a testament like to, to somebody like Coach Gay to be continue to be competitive, like and, and not basically, you know, like I, I would say, I mean, maybe up to when was the last time Syracuse was really in the mix, like to get they they had almost had a breakthrough squad a couple of years ago, right? Like they were like, I think it was like when they had Johnny Flynn, when they had the upstate boys. When they had Johnny Flynn, they had McNamara, they they had the, the sharpshooters. They had a maybe I guess I was damn, I might I might be like 2010, 2011. Yeah. It's been a while. I'm just looking at it because like I think Jim Bayheim is still the head coach. But he is, like he's but, but retired, it's, but yeah. it's it's a wrap, Jim. Like in terms of like y'all winning at the highest level. Like it's you know what I mean, like it 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 ends, it comes for everyone, right? And, you know, Coach K had found a way to keep those teams competitive, you know, and there's somewhere in there that, you know, and even Calipari's sort of second act, you know, with Kentucky with figuring out how to how to do the like, look, y'all going to be here for a couple of years. I'm, you know, we're going to make sure you learn a couple of things. <laughs> you got to get ready to go to the next level. But I'm not. You know, whatever. Yeah, he's a charm school. Calipari yeah. is like a charm school yeah. for like uh, really good <laughs> basketball players. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? It's kind of like you're going to learn a couple of things here to be able to get on stage. And I'm not knocking that because I guess, again, we're in a space that um, the world is different. Yeah. So I don't want to try to keep the world of college basketball the same when everything else in the world has changed. Right. Yeah. To your point. The teams that were traditionally good when we were of a certain age aren't generally any good anymore, right? The the UCLA teams, um, Arizona jumps in and out. Uh, you know, Gonzaga now is like consistently good. Mm-hmm. Baylor is now consistently good, right? Mm-hmm. I think you know it'd be interesting to find to to look deeper into like how Baylor started recruiting kids and like. Where the where why why are the kids going to Baylor and where were they going before? Yeah, yeah. Because that that that's what helps me makes me like okay where were these guys going? Because you know no knock to to anybody with Baylor nothing strikes me as that you have particularly like skilled coaches or people are like man this is the X and O guy from you know from up above right so you know why are you going there? Then it made you know you actually brought up a very good point about pro basketball. In that, I mean, if you look at pro basketball right now, 
if you think about the amount of coaches that stick out to you as far as like good coaches, Spalestra. I mean, I'm, I'm saying I'm just putting it out to like, I mean, Spalestra is a good coach. Um, because they're still good, right? Yeah. <laughs> they don't have any of the people he had 10, 12 years ago. Right. And, and they're still, still good. Yeah. And, and, and it's still good, right? So say what you will, he is clearly a top, a top tier coach. Yeah. But like, what other coaches come to mind? It's like, you know, we all sometimes Tom Thibodeau is like good, and then he's not right. Like depending on the year, <laughs> some years Tom Thibodeau is the coach of the year. We all, you know, he dresses everybody down. He's, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> make them all. I, I think, yeah, I think, uh, I think Ty Lue is a good coach, um, because they shouldn't be competitive. <laughs> Right yeah. now, no, right, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, I always right. that uh, Nick Nurse Ty in Toronto. Lou. I give Nick Nurse his props. I think Nick Nurse is a yes. Nick Nurse is a good coach, uh, uh, and I, I think um, Jason Kidd. I mean, frankly, what where LA made their biggest mistake was losing Jason Kidd. Yeah, probably because you know Jason Kidd will be a good coach in years to come, right? Like because of his vision of the game and his knowledge of the game, teams will always want a Jason kid to be working with their star player. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I, I think it's a, and one more thing about coach K it's also, if you think about him, what college coach was able to actually coach pros and then go back to coaching college. Yeah. It's not a lot of that. That That's that not a lot. Of and at the end, and pro players really, you know, seem the least to respect them. Like they, they seem right. to, you know, get something basketball, you know what I'm saying, from him. Right. The dream team in 92 was coached by Chuck Daly, right? Right. <laughs> like it was coached by the epitome of a, a pro basketball uh, coach. And then we have this idea of being coached by, you know, by, by, by this, by this, this seminal coach out of Chicago. Um, you know, so yeah, I think it's a, it, it's an, it's an end of an era in a lot of different ways. Um, Duke has, you know, kind of spawned a lot of college, co- a fair amount of college coaches, um, as well as folks who are involved within pro basketball and in other places. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, kind of what emerges out of that because. I would argue that Coach K was like the leaf or the branch of the Bobby Knight tree that even makes anyone still remember Bobby Knight, right? Like depending on your history and your age, you could forget Bobby Knight ever existed. You could forget that Indiana was ever good. Oh yeah, yeah. That that is a total object of a previous generation. I think to probably like Bobby Knight as yeah. I don't I don't think play anybody. I mean, unless you're just a nerd of the game, I doubt the casual college basketball fan that's under 30 would be like Bobby Knight. Uh, like, you know what I'm saying? Like it would be, it would be like just, some, you know, you'd be like, you would bring it up, you know, shit, shit almost, you might know more about John Wooden than Bobby Knight. You know what I mean? Just cause you'd be like, Oh, John Wooden sixties. Like, you know, right. Right. I heard about the wooden way. I watched billions. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, like I, watched, I watched billions. They were talking about John Wooden. You know what I'm saying? Uh, that's it. Yeah, that you know what, and and one thing that's interesting that you say that is that you know the actual good coaches of the seventies have been all frankly but obscured 
in the 80s, you really have Dean Smith, Coach K. Uh, Denny Crum was good for a while, right? So you just have different coaches, but like, um, yeah, I think it's a testament to another age of basketball. And I think there were pros and obviously some challenges to that age. But I definitely think when you look at the at today's NBA, the benefit of actual coaching. And now whether you call that in high school, college, and or professional basketball or the G League, as it were now, right? Um, the role of not just a mentor and not just a modeling school, but an actual coach that's going to, one, help you be a better human being, mm-hmm. help you navigate the world you're about to go into. I think a lot of NBA players still are having challenges navigating the world they find themselves in. Um, and that plays out in a lot of different ways. Um, and, you know, the, the, and the idea of a system, right? Yeah. Uh, we have, now we have, um, we romanticized the destruction of systems or the obliteration of systems versus the creation of systems. Yeah. So I think that the the Duke in the Coach K way, it'll be interesting to see how it how it lives on post, you know, yeah. uh, his... Uh, uh, and did they say who's taking over for him? Uh, John Shire. Shire, okay. okay. Yeah, Shire's taking over. Um, I wasn't going to buy the biography, but now I have to buy the biography because, you know, there's supposed to be a whole bunch of tension between... Amaker coming back um, in the Shire and, you know, in the, you know, again, in, in any family, there's family drama, yeah. right? So <laughs> Coach, you know, Shire was Coach K's hand-picked successor, which I'm sure for the administration of Duke University was a challenge when the person that's brought some the most attention to your school ever says, this is the guy I want, but yeah. some other people might want another guy, maybe. And you know, but Tommy, I mean, I think as I recall, Amaker's at uh at Harvard and uh, you know, yeah, doing quite well. Uh you know, but yeah, I mean you have Amaker, you have Dawkins, you have Chris Collins, mm-hmm. uh, you have Bob Bob Hurley or Arizona State. Yeah, yeah, the coaches, they're all they're all over Capel at Pitt, they're all over. That's right. I forgot about that was at Let's go Panthers, yep. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They got Molly Watt by Duke the other night. Um, it doesn't belong yeah, in the ACC, but it's fine. Well, that, that's, <laughs> not that I know I mean, where else. That's the yeah, other thing. I don't know where else for that, to go, but you know that's the other thing that I think basketball has been challenged with, like the idea of what you're going to go do. I think call it what you will. When you went to Duke, you knew you were going to play UNC. You knew you were going to play in the Cameron Indoor Stadium. You knew you were going to play in the ACC tournament in Greensboro. And all that up until a certain time, that actually meant, right? Like you could play a Wake Forest team and lose, right? <laughs> like you could play, you know, you could play a team and lose, right? Um, you were, you know, you may play Virginia in the finals and it's going to be a hard game, right? And I think that with the obliteration of the, the, the kind of conferences and what those things mean, uh, I was watching, went to see a Duquesne game the other day. And uh, Duquesne now, they're in their Loyola from Chicago is actually going to be a member of the A-10. So now the A-10 essentially goes from the East Coast to Chicago. Oh, wow. Right? 
like so the idea back in the day when like the A10 tournament was held in Atlantic City, right? And like you, oh, everybody, yeah, was. yeah, the A10 <laughs> tournament was held in Atlantic City, like and, and and what that meant, right? And what it meant to a player playing, right? To the act actually appreciating tradition starting, and you know if you had it in high school, but definitely in college, I think that there's there's a part of all of that that's making it a little more difficult for players, um, for fans, frankly, and even players to establish that. So, all right. Well, you know, the only thing I say in closing, like it, it is, I don't know if we'll have any coach in college, like at least at a major, maybe at like a, a big college, at like the top of the, you know, not, you know, I'm sure like smaller schools, D3 schools, D2 schools, even, even, you know, lower profile D1 schools, you'll have coaches who'll be there for multiple decades. I think that'll still happen. I don't know if we'll get, I don't know if we'll get too many of them. I just feel like the, the world is different on that now. And even if, if someone is really, really, really good that they might get shots to move to other places or just might, you know, I just don't think it's, I just don't, I don't think those institutions function that way anymore where that, uh, that sort of like, he's been here for 15 years and he's an, he's a part, you know, basically he's a part of the culture of this place. I don't know if that's still a concept that we largely invest in as a society anymore, but maybe I'm wrong, you know, but you know, man, hats off to Coach K, even if he, you know, like I said, they, they killed the dream, you know what I'm saying, beating beating that UNLV team and getting in the way to, you know, just, you know I mean, it, I don't take it personal, you know what I'm saying, it wasn't about me, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> it was just basketball. <laughs> like, like everything in America, it was about race and class, we just didn't know, right, right. like that, that's the thing I take from it, like my, and, and finality for me is just like, how much you realize the things you think you're thinking that original thoughts are actually being, you know, mm. not to sound like care is one or something here, <laughs> like some sort of uh, conspiracy theorist or, you know, Bobby Hemmett, but right. like, like you're being, you were programmed, right. Yeah. You were programmed to see these people through a lens. And since you saw them through the lens, that's what it was to you versus it was more nuance and complexity. Then, then, then we we accepted at that time. So you know, as a Duke fan, I'm a you know you got to be careful about nostalgia and being sad to see somebody go, especially when they're seventy something years old and like having light strokes on you know like yeah, you know when yeah. he just had to leave at halftime. Like yeah. like it's time to go. Like yeah yeah, it's, you know you want to keep you want to keep years of your life right. Um, so I think you know when especially when families have given members of their family to the rest of us for 40 years yeah, like in the ways that when that happens, when you're, when you're one of the best coaches in the world, um, the ability to appreciate and, and have that time is important. So, you know, it just, for me is think, you know, for everyone thinking about basketball and thinking about those kind of things that as eras change, how do you keep the best part of what happened before without falling into the nostalgia of wanting that actual thing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I think we, we just wrap it up. We'll add on about some of these other things next time we build. So, um, unless you got anything else with that, right. I say peace. Peace. Thank you for listening to Good Brothers. Thank you to my good brother, Majestic. Uh, thank you for tuning in. And as a thing rolling move forward, you know, keep listening and um, sharing. And I am 
you know, this is not a hollow, a hollow, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, proclamation. More, more recordings and conversations to come. So, you know, as always, you can support the podcast by sharing, uh, by going on to wherever you listen and giving a rating. You know, ratings matter. Uh, you know, tell a friend. You can also support this financially by searching up the Etsy shop, buy a sweatshirt or a mug. Uh, you can um, also just look up Justice Raji on Patreon and subscribe. You know, every little every little bit counts to offset the monthly cost of keeping the digital audio on the internet. You know what I mean? As it were, you know, the internet is actually not free. <laughs> it's only free sometimes to the user, but as we know, even that is not really free. So, in any event, man, I'm gonna get out of here. And um, if you enjoy, again, you know, tell a friend and share far and wide. So with that. I'm say peace.